new music industry podcast, and I'm David Andrew Let's dig in. Today I'm chatting with composer, speaker, and thought leader Stephen Lebetkin. How are you today, Steve? I'm great. How are you today, David? Great. Thank you so much for asking. So for those who don't know, why don't you paint us a picture of who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, I'm a composer, and I've been doing this for quite a long time. Um, I started out in my uh, young teenage uh, years, taking composition lessons and studying uh, classical music and going pretty much every weekend to Lincoln Center in New York to the Library of Performing Arts and as a 13 and 14 year old uh, young boy, adolescent, I just traveled through the library for years, learning music, listening to vinyl, yes, those are the days of vinyl, <laughs> and studying uh, scores, and then went on to uh, college at uh, City University of New York, Queens College, and had the very privilege and distinction of studying uh, with about five of the giant, great giant composers of the 20th century, unfortunately no longer with us today as we're in the 21st century, and learned a very solid and rigorous background of traditional great Western compositional techniques. Hmm. And uh, um, that forms the basis of all of my work for many decades since then, and whatever style uh, I choose to write, whether it's classical, symphonic, uh, popular, commercial, you know, new age, as uh, we're going to be talking about uh, shortly in this interview media and in any other um, framework. So I have a solid foundation of uh, compositional technique, which uh, gives, the gives me the ability to build and create in whatever language or style um, is called for at the time. That's great. And composing is definitely an art form. You have a new album on the way, and I want to make sure I'm saying this right, although I'm not sure I am, titled Perpetuum Immobile. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, it? Well, it's uh, Perpetuum Immobile. Immobile. Which is the, uh, yeah, it's correct. It's, uh, that's the title track of the uh, album. And the title of that track um, seemed to get a good sense of what the sound is and mood uh, is on, the, on that track for the, uh, the listener. So what sort of mood were you trying to evoke with, with this music? Well, it wasn't really such a mood. Uh, I, I was actually, um, I gave a considerable amount of thought and preparation prior to the composition and then ultimately the production of this album to music in the 21st century, particularly for the, the larger commercial audiences, what's gone on in the last 15, 20 years, um, and how I could approach a commercial genre with a sense of compositional integrity at the same time, but not losing the audience to something that was too deep or too deeply entrenched in a classical or you know avant-garde 20th century type of uh, sound. So the idea was consistent with my other works to um, approach and embrace a much wider audience than classical music generally is able to achieve. 
which is declining. Uh, the audiences are declining. I think uh, that's pretty well established. So the idea was to take um, uh, a classical a set of contemporary um, techniques, actually a classical set of techniques, and apply them to a very, very appealing uh, set of compositional styles that people can really relate to and enjoy without getting lost. Not too challenging, but just enough so that it bears repeated listenings. Hmm. That's the key. You want to be able to write music that um, is not only here for today, but will be here tomorrow, where each time a listener you know, presses the play button for one or more of the tracks on the album, hears something new um, that they hadn't heard or focused on before. That's the key to writing great music in the classical vein or the jazz vein or any other vein, um, so that you can hear it again and, and derive some additional sense of joy that maybe you didn't get some of the other times. Yeah, I think that's great because... I think a lot of the music that I've come to love certainly has layers and depth to it that I wouldn't have noticed the first time around. Uh, and there's, yeah, there's many albums like that, that I definitely have an appreciation for. I think you describe this kind of as new age chamber music. So what is that? Well, that's a very interesting uh, question. The, um, a lot of the new age, uh, music, uh, by, um, definition and the way the music is, is, is structured and laid out for the listener has quite a bit of space in it, whether you're dealing with music, let's say by Arvo Part, which has a great amount of repetition or some of the other uh, contemporary artists like uh, Iannaudi and Max Richter and the late Johan Johansson. And so what I did was, uh, and, and then a lot of the other uh, uh, new age artists are, are, are heavily reliant on sound design and effects to give this kind of ethereal, transcendent, universal uh, feel in a very slow-moving uh, sound palette and environment. So in order to go just a notch or two up in complexity, but without losing the audience, one of the things that I, I, I decided to do in the planning of the music for this album is to start from a base level of actual live instruments. Live instruments, of course, are the um, uh, environment that you know a lot of great classical music is written in, of course, chamber music, which gives that intimate sound. You want to be able to give an intimate sound, uh, even if it's on a pair of heads, you know, headsets or speakers. You want to be able to have that sense of human intimacy in, in music that's not just filled with um, kind of these ethereal type of sounds and synths and you know that that sort of thing so the music is is in, in this album built from the bottom up where the, the musical ideas are fully formed and accessible purely and easily accessible to the listener and then add layers of some combination of uh instruments contemporary instruments or traditional instruments whether it's piano or a solo uh, string instruments, and then add the synths on top. So really, um, what I've developed here is the first subset of New Age music, which I call New Age Chamber Music. Now, if you go to the internet and type in New Age Chamber Music on uh, Google search, you're not going to find anything. So that means I'm the first and successful 
or so many. If, if I'm not successful, you'll never find another one again. Um, but, you know, that being said, the idea was really to create an album using contemporary sounds and sound designs in a way that maybe Mozart would have done if he were alive today. A lot of his music is great sounds and great tunes and melodies almost sound like, uh, you know, music that was written for a child. They're very, very simple and elegant, but deceptively simple because the melodies and the musical structure is actually quite dense and complex in Mozart, but it doesn't really sound that way or feel that way to the listener. They don't have to know how complicated it is, but they have to experience it. So I approach this album in much the same way at that level to give a sense of great appeal, but also wrapped in intimacy and the use of synths and other electronic sound design uh, techniques and samples that would add color, but not become the foundation. Because if all you have is sound design and and you know it's sort of like having a you know a, a, a cake which is one inch of cake and you know six inches of uh, cream with sugar. Um, if all you have is the icing and the and, 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 and that sugary, you know, cream type stuff on the top. And all you have cake is at the bottom. You're not going to really eat that cake. You're not going to eat very much of it, and you're not going to really go back for more. Um, but, you know, in a chamber music environment, if you have the intimate sound of music that is accessible and has the human touch, and add to that in a very tasteful way, hopefully done tastefully, um, the contemporary sounds of synths and other production techniques, then I think what you have is something new that, um, again, bears repeated listenings uh, by listeners um, and hopefully a desire to hear more in future albums. Yeah, and I think creating that type of music is perhaps more challenging just from a practical standpoint. I would imagine it takes a little more time for uh, musicians to prepare and to have the piece the way you want it, as well as the fact that it could be more expensive to have real instruments as a baseline. Actually not. Hmm. Um, you would think that, well, first of all, um, when it comes to it, writing music that is a little bit more high, high, higher level, but not too higher level, so as to turn off a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a broader audience, what that also does is severely limit the number of composers, other composers in the world, that could approach this new genre, the genre of new age chamber music, chamber music, which is what we're calling it here, and make a good faith effort to, to compose their own version of it. Because you can't really do it unless you have solid uh, compositional background. Mm. Uh, without a foundation, it's going to be very, very hard to do. You could write sort of sort of sounds that, that kind of, you know, dance around it and, and, and so on. But if you don't have a solid foundation, there's only a few, you know, percentage points of composers in the world that can write out of the box, which is, the, you know, the use of these DAWs, electronic uh, MIDI and sample configurations. Uh, most of them really can't write music at this level, um, unfortunately. So it, it's, a, it's a much much more limited market. Um, from from a time standpoint, I'm using only a few instruments because the chamber music environment is only a few instruments. That could be one, two, five, or six of live live instruments. Uh, so it doesn't take that long to put together. The co composition time is 
for me pretty quick. Uh, it didn't take that long to actually compose the tracks hmm. for, for you know for this, and then of course most of the most of the other work in the preparation is on production. That's basically I think I've answered your question, David. Oh, absolutely, that's great. You've already mentioned a few artists and composers, but who were you specifically influenced by? You know, uh, you know the the entire you know classical world of you know, three four hundred years of music and constant study has always had a great influence on on my uh, uh, work. Uh, there's no such thing as a favorite composer. I think what makes sense is is, is to be able to say, oh, I I, I love Bach. From the Baroque era, I love Beethoven and Glad, you know, and, and Haydn and Mozart from their eras. I think it's more about uh, it's it's really time time specific. In the when we roll forward to the 20th century, composers that had a great deal of influence on me uh, were the music of Bela Bartok, uh, to some extent Stravinsky, Paul Hindemith, um, and a great composer that is not well well really well known, Carol with the K A R O L Rathaus R A T H A U S who was kind of the Polish Chopin of the first half of the uh, 20th century, he died in 1955. He and his music and his, his teachers, which go back to Bach, I'm sorry, not Bach, but Brahms and Fuchs and later Schraker in Vienna, had a, uh, were, were firmly based in traditional techniques that go back to Haydn and Mozart. And then rolling forward, Rathaus was the teacher at Queens College in New York, from whom three of the most, some of the most talented composers in the 20th century emerged, and those were Gabriel Fontrier, Saul Berkowitz, and Leo Kraft, all of whom I studied with. Um, so that's kind of my lineage. Now, when, when you kind of look at the flip side of that, David, <clears throat> what, what were the influences uh, in, in, in the 20th, or the, really the, the 21st uh, century, but from you know the commercial world, I, I think there were far fewer of those. I mean, you could look at the film music, of um, composers from the 30s and 40s that went forward, but they really weren't that influential because most of the film music really uh, has as its origination point the influence of the classical composers. And it's funny because uh, many have said my orchestral music sounds like film music, but you know the reality is which came first, the chicken or the egg? The film, film music really, really came from a broad world of uh, classical music from you know, over the last several, several hundred years. So I didn't have any one real specific influence that stands out over the last you know, 20 or 30 years that influenced the formulation and composition and production of this album um, to the detriment of any other composers of the last 20 or 30 years. So it's really one, not one, it's really the basket of styles and how they're applied. Oh yeah, I can relate to that for sure. As a guitarist, I started out liking a lot of classic rock and blues and then eventually went on to learn jazz and funk and adopted many different styles from many different guitarists along the way. So I think that's how it Well, let's not, let's let's be realistic. Here's the confession. I, when I played guitar as a 13 or 14 years old, 13-year-old uh, boy, you know, I was uh, I was uh, picking the licks off of uh, Eric Clapton and Cream, you know all of those. And, yeah. Because my my ear was pretty good, I would be able to hear them and play them back in fairly short order and accurately. Um, while I was also studying, you know, uh, Bach, Preludes, and Fugues. So the combination was 
was pretty good. You know, I live in the modern world like everybody else, and I hear and play everything that everyone else else does. Um, so, you know, I'm influenced by all of those, hmm. uh, all those composers, but all of the really good ones were influenced by the composers that I studied with or studied in depth for my entire life. Hmm. It's really the other way around. They were influenced by the greats. The greats didn't influence them. Yeah, great point. So, like, if you, like if you look at Elton John and um, Billy Joel, you know, great songwriters, uh, Paul Simon, uh, and others, and James Taylor, and others that came, you know, forward through through those years, you you would see that most of the, the kind of the songwriting techniques. Uh, of those composers, which is the ones that just come to mind now in our conversation, really were derived from Schubert and and, and Schumann, Robert, Robert Schumann, and other 19th, great 19th century composers. Those were the ones that the contemporary composers, the troubadours of the last 20, 30 years, uh, learned from. I mean, if you dig deep into what they were doing in the 19th century, easily accessible, tuneful, beautifully structured masterpieces of song literature, those are the ones that had the influence on the, the troubadours of the last 20, 30 years. Hmm. That's where it all came from. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So I'm wondering, you know, you have all these influences. Is there a specific way you approach composition and making music? That's a really, really interesting question. One of the things that I've, I've, I've noted that is that there are umpteen number of books um, at schools, conservatories, universities, used throughout the world on composition. And what they all have in common is the use or manipulated use, depending on the, uh, you know, the century that they're focused on in those books, these composition books, of harmony. Now, I will say that the use of harmony, harmony is a compositional element but it's not a compositional technique. So when you take out harmony uh, and counterpoint, which are elements of composition, and, and, and you strip them out of these books or, or uh, conservatory courses on composition, you find that there's really nothing left. The art of composition technique, the foundation for it is a specific set of you know, around eight or 10 uh, techniques which enable one to compose and more importantly, edit your own work. The young people today, the film composers, the songwriters are really very weak in their ability to edit. They play the same thing over and over again. It doesn't get better. It's sort of like hitting a golf ball a thousand times. It, you know, you can do it wrong a thousand times, but if you hit, you know, 50 golf balls really, really well, and you can focus on one or more elements of your technique, you'll get better. Well, the same thing goes for composition. The key to being a really good composer I, I think is a understanding what composition technique is as dis distinguished from being completely different than harmony and some of the other contrapuntal elements. And most importantly, two, being able to edit your work quickly and effectively and make it better. What I see from the many media composers that I know uh, around the U.S., particularly in New York and Los Angeles and, and composers in the classical world that are competing for these, you know, symphonic commissions, the men or the women, this is not a gender issue all, at all. This is about the technique is that the, the, 
that many of them have not had the opportunity to study with really wonderful composers that will teach them the compositional techniques, which almost seem secret in nature, but are very specific and clear and evident, and how to edit their work. I don't see composers today as having strong editing skills. You must be able to edit your own, own work. Hmm. It's not, you know, if you look at, for example, the book publishing world, if you write a book and you finish your book, you go to a publisher and say, please publish my book. What does the publisher do? He says, all right, here's the contract. Now go down the hall. We have 30 editors here. We're going to edit your book. <laughs> yes. Why is it that, yeah. Now, if you said that to a composer, let's go edit your composition, they would turn all sorts of colors, jump out the window, and rip up your contract for publishing. But, but they need editing. Why would they not need editing in the same way that a great creative book writer, author, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, would also need some editing? You've got to be able to edit or have somebody do it for you. Mm-hmm. This is the biggest. This is the biggest failing of composition in the U.S. and throughout the world in any genre or style or application, be it jazz or classical or songwriting or hip-hop or film or short film or TV, the inability to edit, understand the techniques and how to make it better. This is the thing that's missing. And you know, a lot of what I do, in my not only in my own work, where my editing skills are you know, pretty good at this point. I can fix what I have, you know, fairly quickly, but I, I try to help others uh, as uh, uh, as I meet them. And if they're open to learning, to learn the better skills of and the, the craft of musical composition and how to edit their own work, you've got to be able to sustain yourself, you know, and, and make it uh, make it better. Otherwise, you know, you're up, you're playing golf, you're hitting a thousand balls, in the same wrong way and and your swing will not improve nor will your composition right so editing is key i got that is there a specific message yep. you're looking to share with your audience through your music you know there are two kinds of uh, of messages one is the message of you know the kind of oh i write music from the heart and i'm trying to express myself and and, you know, all of these kind of hoo-ha kinds of things that people say to achieve these dreamy, you know, dreamy states and seem like they're, you know, you know, heavenly in their uh, uh, approach. I assume that everybody that writes music wants to do the best that they can and express themselves. I think that's a given mm. th- uh, throughout. So just say that you're trying to do that doesn't make what you say or do any more or less special than anyone else. But, you know, what I'm, uh, uh, what, what, what I'm trying to achieve is twofold on the message. If you have a talent, but you wrap it up in technique and you, you learn your craft, that message, the personal human touch, will come out and will be communicated so that whatever extant messages there are emotionally that a composer wants to convey will reach their destination. They will touch other human beings in a deep and significant way and across large 
uh, uh, geographic, as uh, geopolitical, and, and other territorial uh, issues. And people from, from and people from all walks of life will enjoy and, and hear the music for what, whatever it is. So you know, my goals um, uh, include uh, bringing great music back to the world again, making music. Uh, really, really great for everyone to um, raise the level of music that's written without making it out, without becoming out of reach um, uh, of the public, like Mozart would have uh, done, I believe, in the 21st century. He would have written beautifully crafted, elegant music that was tuneful and easily accessible, probably film scores and symphonies and you know songs of great. Uh, commercial uh, uh, appeal and kind of raise the bar and that and so so to bring greater joy to a greater uh, uh, public to hear music and to access music by me and others touches them significantly and bears repeated listening uh, and, and 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 second is to help composers who want to be helped and to learn how to reach those audiences and similar goals in whatever uh, it, it, uh, manner of expression that they elect to uh, utilize in their work and, and, and their craft. You know, I'll leave you with this thought. Um, people say, you know, what, what's a great song or a great piece or a great symphony all about? And, and what I say is, well, it's sort of like a cake mix. And here are the elements. If everything adds up to 100%, 10% of a great piece is inspiration. Hmm. 89%, 89% is craft and one percent is the hand of god or whatever you believe in. if all you have is great ideas and inspiration but you don't know how to craft it and edit it you're missing 89 percent of what a great piece would be you're not going to get there except occasionally and by luck because you've written some great song or piece or use a film or something like that or a cue but you're not going to be able to do it consistently. So if you follow that recipe and you learn how to make all of your all of the elements of that piece together, you know, the, the inspiration, the craft, and of course, a little bit of luck or the hand of God, you will more consistently hit your mark and, and, and write better and more beautiful music and bring more joy to the world. That's the goal. And that's what I'm doing in this. That's what I'm doing in this. Uh, this album and 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 hopefully uh, the world will tell tell me whether I'm right or I'm wrong or something in between, and I will listen to the reactions of others and hear what people say and how they are they are moved or not moved uh, by this work and then continue on to take uh, this music and either uh, apply it to other genres like you know film or TV whoever asked me to do whatever back to the concert hall. Or, or commercial songs, or you know whatever comes my way, or simply write another, you know, produce another album and go further. Hmm. So those those are kind of the goals and where this album fits into the plan. Great, and I think we've gotten a pretty good sense of this. But is there anything else specifically you're envisioning for the future, and do you have any specific plans moving forward? Well, I'm going to roll this one out, okay. you know, for a while. I mean, I could actually produce one of these a month because I write fairly quickly wow. and edit produce fairly quickly. It doesn't really take me that long, but the market can't absorb in the commercial sense as many albums that I could produce at a fairly high 
you know, quality level. So while this is rolling out, I have a very busy, more serious compositional life. Um, you know, this year I wrote uh, two symphonies, uh, this album, uh, two large works for uh, uh, choir, one a cappella, and one uh, with organ. And now I'm writing some art songs uh, for uh, male voice and piano, which is kind of the Me Too movement, but for men. Uh, songs for the Evolved Man is what I'm calling the suite of art songs hmm. to show that there are men that are evolved also and I'm having some some fun looking into the literature at poems from Shakespeare on up to the present time uh, for and about uh, men that have evolved in a positive way as human beings. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that and uh, always looking at new projects in the classical world to uh, uh, compose and, and you know add, add, add to the joy. Does that that this year? Wow! I write about I write about two and a half hours of music a year in the classical world for a variety of instrumental and choral configurations. You know, plus I'll probably do an album or two a year of this kind of thing and anything else that comes my way as a result of uh, the reaction in the media world. Well, that's fantastic. We'll definitely keep an eye on what you're up to. Thank you so much for your time and generosity, Steve. Is there anything else I should have asked? No, my favorite flavor of ice cream. <laughs> What's your <laughs> favorite flavor of ice cream? It's a tie for first place. It's generally chocolate, but if I have a good coffee ice cream, I'm in heaven. <laughs> so there you have my secret. Awesome. So if you give me, a, if you bring me a couple of pints of ice cream with chocolate. And coffee combined, I will write you a symphony and a string quartet. <laughs> Wonderful. So, yeah, <laughs> now our guests know what to bring you. Perfect. All right. Really appreciate it. I'm an easy mark. I'm an easy mark. So, thank you, David. Thanks for being, letting me be on your show. Yeah. Thanks again. It's been a great conversation. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to musicentrepreneurhq.com for show notes and other goodies. And leave us a review in iTunes to help us spread the word.